with a uh, second lecture for Bone. So again, please review your uh, objectives, familiarize with all the uh, concepts that it's asking you guys to cover. Uh, we cover most of the objectives in the lectures. There are a few things that you might have to uh, kind of review on your own just because we uh, don't have enough time to get into um, some of the smaller details. Okay. Um, in the first lecture, what we talked about is we talked about uh, bone uh, growth and bone um, uh, development. And here we have uh, the, the building block, the osteon, and its development and how it happens. And this, this um, uh, goes on to explain really how that endosteum and periosteum uh, are continuous with each other and how they have that very similar uh, structure. So again, remember that bone... Um, Although it's a dynamic tissue and it uh, changes and, and modifies all the time, it is uh, mineralized, okay? which is going to limit uh, its capabilities to, to truly kind of uh, adapt very, very quickly to changes or grow and develop as other tissues can. Because we can't simply just grow an artery into bone, bring in some nutrients, bring in some cells, and start growing, dividing, and doing things. Okay? A lot of people kind of um, actually wonder before they even see this, how do the blood vessels get inside uh, of the bone? How do we have all these osteons with an artery in the middle if, if it's a, a mineralized uh, matrix? Okay? And the reason that happens is that the, the arteries don't really grow into the osteons. It's the osteons that really grow around the arteries. Okay? So what we have is we have arteries found on the outside of the bone um, over top of the periosteum, okay? So the periosteum is actually highly uh, vascularized. So we have a lot of blood vessels on, on top of the periosteum that's going to help kind of uh, supply some of the blood uh, to the bones uh, in that way, okay? So this would be the outside of the bone here. That would be the periosteum. So what happens is we start developing these periosteal ridges, okay, on either side of a vessel, okay? So these vessels are basically, again, running along the long axis of the bone, just kind of traversing the bone. So we have these ridges that form on either side of this blood vessel. And these ridges develop by, again, uh, differentiation of these uh, osteoprogenitor cells that are found in this periosteum. And they start developing or uh, differentiating into osteoblasts. Okay, so those osteoblasts are going to start producing osteomaterial, and thereby this ridge is going to start growing. Okay, eventually these two ridges... Uh, meet in the middle, or they kind of grow over top of the artery and basically trap the artery uh, inside. Okay? Now, notice what happens to the periosteum. So, the periosteum is this kind of you know, shiny white uh, layer on top here. So, you see, once it kind of um, the ridges fuse together, that periosteum is nice one continuous layer. Eventually, once these ridges fuse, the periosteum separates or splits off from the continuity on the outside, which again, it becomes continuous. But then that part that was lining that, that ridge here or that valley where the artery was now becomes trapped as part of kind of itself and magically changes names and becomes the endosteum. Okay? So where did this endosteum come from? It came from the periosteum. Okay? So that's why that, that endosteum that's lining the haversian canals and lining the uh, Volkman's canals and so on is actually the periosteum that got, that got trapped inside and that then becomes continuous with the endosteum on the inside. Okay? Same thing happens with uh, uh, Volkman's canals. Okay? 
So the Volkman Canal is right there, and a similar kind of process occurs. So once these kind of ridges grow over it, they kind of engulf those connections as well. So we get Volkman's canals in a similar fashion. Once this, uh, uh, these ridges fuse and we end up with this cavity with uh, blood vessels inside of it, we basically have to fill in the gap. Okay? So then we have those uh, osteogenic cells that are kind of lining this uh, former periosteum, now known as endosteum layer. They start differentiating and becoming osteoblasts. Okay? So now these osteoblasts are producing osteoid material and they basically fill this space right up to the artery until it's nice and tight and no more room, and they start creating this concentric lamellae, and a new osteon is born. All right? I think that's pretty much what it says here. I'm assuming I wrote it. Histogenesis, okay? So histogenesis is different than uh, bone growth or bone development, Okay? Sometimes on the exam, it might ask you, you know, uh, identify how bone is able to grow or how bone is able to develop, okay? It's a different thing of how bone grows from how it develops, okay? How it develops or this histogenesis, genesis means beginning, right? So think of it as this is how it, it comes to be in the first place. So this is embryological kind of origins. This is how it forms in the, in the fetus, in the embryo, okay? So we have bone being uh, developed uh, in two different ways, okay? Not growth again. Remember growth, we only have appositional growth. We don't have interstitial uh, because it's mineralized. But when it comes to development, we have two different ways that we can develop bones in the fetus, okay? One is going to be intramembranous bone formation, and the other one is going to be endochondral bone formation, okay? As the name would imply, the endochondral is going to have something to do with cartilage, so we're basically going to have a cartilage model in the fetus, uh, that then is going to get uh, mineralized and basically replaced by bone. Okay? So if any of you guys ever seen uh, 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 CT images of you know, uh, a fetus and stuff or x-rays of fetuses, um, notice how the bones are usually very translucent. They're very, very transparent. They don't have that calcium uh, minerals to them. So they're, they're, they're cartilaginous. So that's why you're able to see right through them. They almost look paper thin. The second way that we're going to develop bone uh, is, is very unique and only happens in uh, predominantly the flat uh, bones of the skull. It's going to be intramembranous bone formation. Okay? And again, as the name implies, intramembranous bone formation is going to be the formation of bone within membrane. Okay? And this membrane is going to be basically mesenchymal tissue. So it's almost like this kind of sporadic or spontaneous formation of bone. Okay? We don't have any cartilage model that's going to kind of shape what these bones are going to look like. We just start getting growing bone out of nowhere. The bone spicules, little bone spicules start appearing. They're going to start to kind of clump together, clump together, get bigger and bigger and bigger. Next thing you know, uh, we have the flat bones of the skull. Okay? And we'll see that in a little bit of detail coming up. In either case, regardless of which um, uh, process occurs in the development, we're going to have immature bone being uh, uh, lay down, okay? And again, through the stresses that are going to be put on these bones, that bone is going to get remodeled later on and become the different types of mature bone. Okay, and this remodeling, we talked about this, it's a dynamic tissue. This remodeling is going to continue uh, throughout your life, 
Okay? So even though your bones are not growing, you've reached your, you know, your maximum height, and you're not growing anymore in height, your bones are still growing. They're constantly developing. They're constantly changing. Um, you know, anybody who's ever, again, you know, broken a, a, a bone and you know, had to, uh, or maybe was, was ill for an extended period of time or was bedridden, you notice how your tissues kind of atrophy, like you lose all the muscle mass in your legs or your arm or whatever it was. Same thing with bones. If you don't, if you don't um, you know, put pressure on and use them, uh, that bone is going to kind of regress. It's going to um, atrophy. Okay? So a lot of people who are quadriplegics, for example, they have very, uh, or not very, but they have thinner bones and they have smaller bones than uh, able people uh, because they don't uh, put the stress and the, and the weight on the bone. So you know, the, the, the mineralized content is not the same. Uh, in, in these people, okay? So let's look at intramembranous uh, bone formation. So again, this is going to be from those mesenchymal uh, cells, okay? So we have all this mesenchyme kind of tissue all around here. That's all that kind of pink, puffy material. And what's going to happen is that we're going to have some of these cells um, that are going to kind of start condensing together, and they're going to differentiate uh, into osteoblasts, okay? And they're going to create this primary ossification center, these osteoblasts are going to start secreting osteoid material. So that's what kind of you see this orange kind of material on the, uh, outside of these cells. And once these osteoblasts, again, become trapped in uh, their own osteoid, they're going to become osteocytes. Next, what's going to happen is we're going to have some of the um, uh, mesenchymal tissue. Some of those uh, tissues are going to differentiate into... Um, bone lining cells, okay? So basically, we're going to end up with like this big island of, of bone or a little chunk of bone, okay? So we have osteocytes here that are now trapped inside of their own matrix, and we still have active osteoblasts on the outside that are producing osteoid material. Okay, so here's a, a, a little bone spicule. So this, this is what uh, an ossification kind of center would look like. So it would have um, basically uh, kind of an aggregate of, of osteocytes kind of coming together. Okay? And this is a stain with a uh, special stain, the malloryazin stain, so stains kind of uh, osteoid material, this, this dark uh, blue color. Okay? And then we have all the other cells kind of reddish on the outside. This is another example of uh, developing uh, uh, bone. So we see these kind of bone trabeculae. So you notice here they start basically... Uh, growing together, they start kind of connecting with each other. So at the beginning, it might be just a tiny little spicule like this, somewhere out here. But eventually, as these things get bigger and bigger, it will join up with this spicule, this spicule will join up with that spicule, and this spicule. And eventually, it starts growing in size and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And through oppositional growth, it's going to get bigger and bigger and eventually form a nice big solid piece of bone. Okay, So it almost kind of starts forming this meshwork that gets just larger and larger and larger until it becomes one solid piece of bone. Okay, spongy bone is going to develop uh, in a similar kind of fashion. So what we're going to have, we're going to eventually have blood vessels uh, growing into uh, this forming spicule. Okay, it's going to bring the hemopoietic kind of cells with it. Um, eventually, we're going to have the periosteum forming. Again, okay, this periosteum, we're going to have, again, these osteoprogenitor cells. They're going to be lining it. 
that can then differentiate into osteoblasts and start producing more bone. We're going to have osteoclasts coming in. Remember, osteoclasts are derived from monoblasts. So once we have the uh, blood vessels growing into it, they're going to bring different types of cell with it. And osteoclasts are going to um, start remodeling the spicules and the trabeculae inside of this bone. So the end process is, is that we essentially have these primary ossification centers in multiple areas occurring at the same time. And as they get bigger and bigger, they basically fuse together and forming uh, a piece of bone. So like I said, most of the flat bones of the skull are formed in this way. So this is an example of one of them. So the mandible uh, is formed through intramembranous uh, bone formation. So this is a, a coronal section through uh, basically the 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 bottom half of the jaw. Okay, so we basically see some, some uh, tooth sockets here and some teeth. We see the base of the tongue here. Um, and this area here is where you would expect to, to find uh, the mandible, the bone. Okay? And so if we look at a magnification from this uh, outline area in red, uh, that's what this image here would represent. And then if we look at that area here even closer, we finally see the, the kind of um, the histological section in, in great magnification where we can identify the cells. So here in this kind of uh, a pink, purple color, you're starting to see these little bone spicules. Okay? So this is in the process of the mandible forming. So it, it hasn't yet become a full mandible. So we have these primary ossification centers that are kind of forming all over the place, and they start expanding and growing and joining up with each other, and you start getting these small little spicules. And eventually, all these spicules will kind of connect with each other as they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're basically going to start occupying sorry, this whole area here and forming one large piece of mandible. And then the left and right half of the mandible eventually fuse with each other. And you end up with this one solid piece of bone that you, you, um, you'll see in the lab as the mandible itself. Okay? So this is a very unique process that doesn't really occur elsewhere in the body other than the, uh, in the head region. So all the other bones in the body um, that form the uh, appendicular skeleton and the rest of the axial skeleton are going to be formed uh, through the next process or the other process that, that we're going to see uh, endochondral bone formation. Okay? So they're going to be represented by a cartilage model first. So we're going to have a cartilaginous femur. We're going to have a cartilaginous humerus, cartilaginous pelvis, and so on that then is going to get uh, replaced by bone. Okay? So in the endochondral bone formation, what we have is this cartilaginous uh, model in the beginning. And if we go through the different stages or the steps that occur, is that we have this bony color occur usually around the um, diaphysis of the bone, so the, the shaft part of the bone. Okay? So that becomes kind of uh, uh, rigid and strong. Next thing that happens is then we have... Um, calcification of the matrix and the diaphysis. Okay? So we go from cartilage in blue to kind of calcified um, cartilage in this kind of purple color. Eventually we have blood vessels that are going to grow in to this area and they're going to basically start bringing cells. They're going to start cleaning up and breaking down this calcified matrix. So macrophages and, and so on are going to come in and eventually start producing a cavity, a, a hole in in this uh, cartilage, okay? 
So this is now starting to kind of resemble that medullary cavity that we see in our long bones. Eventually we have the same thing occur in the epiphysis, so in the, in, the, in the ends of the bones, on both ends. So we have secondary ossification centers forming. Okay. And again, we have blood vessels growing in and the cartilage get calcified. And uh, eventually the same thing is going to happen on the opposite end. Okay. So we start off in the diaphysis. We calcified the cartilage, then we take it away, and that gets replaced by bone. And eventually we have secondary ossifications forming in the epiphysis uh, part of the bone on both ends. Um, and we have the cartilage getting replaced by bone as well. Okay? Now again, notice that in between the primary and secondary ossification centers, we have that epiphyseal growth plate remaining. Okay? So we, this is where that epiphyseal growth plate or that cartilage growth plate comes from. It doesn't grow into the bone. It doesn't, you know, the bone doesn't differentiate into cartilage. The cartilage was there in the first place. Okay? So that epiphyseal growth plate is basically the remnant of the cartilage model uh, that that bone was uh, previous. Okay? So everything else gets replaced by bone and that cartilage remains. The other place where we have cartilage remaining is obviously over the articular surfaces. So that hyaline cartilage also persists from the cartilaginous model. Okay? Once you reach uh, adulthood and um, you've had your last growth spurt, again, that growth plate is going to close down or it's going to um, calcify. And that primary ossification center and the secondary ossifications, they become continuous with each other. They fuse together. Okay? And depending on, uh, on which bone you're looking at, you know, this happens you know, between 18, 21, 22 uh, years of age. If we look at the epiphyseal growth plate, um, you maybe saw this in the, in the cartilage uh, lecture, uh, but we're going to have the different, different zones uh, in a cartilage that are going to um, show different stages of, of maturation of this cartilage and on its progression to become uh, bone. Okay? So again, through this endochondral bone uh, formation and this epithelial plate, we're able to elongate our bones and grow the, the bones outwards. Okay? So it's the, mo the uh, growth of cartilage and the division of cartilage cells and, and their multiplication that, that leads to growth of bone. Okay? So what we have is, again, this is the epiphyseal side, so this is the ends of the bones, and this is di the, the diaphysis, so this is towards the center, the, the shaft of the bone. So we're going to have a zone uh, of reserve cartilage. Okay? So as the name implies, this is basically going to be the kind of the pool of stem cells that are kind of the, the, where the cells are going to be continuously dividing from and replicating. Then we're going to have a zone of proliferation, okay? um, which is obviously, as the name implies, where the cells are going to start growing. Zone of hypertrophy, this is where the cells are going to start stacking together in these columns, and they're going to start getting larger and larger. Um, eventually, we have the zone. So we go through all the zones here. Zone of calcified cartilage. So again, that cartilage is going to get calcified. So we had cartilage, calcified cartilage. And then a zone of resorption, what happened here is uh, the calcified cartilage gets taken up, and um, osteoblasts come in and start laying down bone. 
Okay? So essentially we replace the, the cartilage, we um, calcify it, and then we replace it with bone. Now what happens once you, when you calcify um, the cartilage matrix? What happens to the chondrocytes? Okay, so these are all chondrocytes, right? Cartilage, they produce uh, their matrix. And if we come in and we calcify the cartilage, what's going to happen to the chondrocytes? They're going to die, okay? Remember that chondrocytes, how do they get their nutrients? Through diffusion, right? They get their, their, all their nutrients uh, from the matrix, right? They diffuse all the material in. Remember that cartilage is avascular, remember that? So it does not have a, a direct blood supply. So it relies on diffusion to get nutrients in and out of the cells. So if you're going to come in and you're going to block that matrix and you're going to calcify it and make it rigid, then those cells are not able to get any nutrients in. So they're basically going to starve to death. Okay? So these uh, chondrocytes are going to die and the cartilage is going to die. And then so all these um, cells are going to come in, these macrophages and osteoclasts are going to come in, they're going to start munching up all this debris and all these dead cells and the matrix, and osteoblasts are going to come in and start uh, differentiating and, and producing uh, osteo material. Okay? So this cartilage essentially forms basically this, this framework for the osteoblast to kind of come in and start producing osteoid and producing bone. But all that cartilage gets replaced and eventually gets uh, destroyed uh, where the bone gets laid down. And this process continues. So as long as that endochondral uh, growth plate remains open, these cartilage cells are going to keep propagating and they're going to keep growing and growing and multiplying and basically going to keep serving as more fuel and more framework for more bone to be laid down. So as long as there's cartilage coming down, it's going to keep getting replaced by bone, and that bone is going to keep growing. As soon as you're going to calcify that epithelial growth plate, then you're going to get rid of that zone um, of proliferation or resting cartilage, then you no longer have uh, multiplication of these cells, and you're no longer going to have cartilage coming down to get calcified, and bone elongation stops. Okay? Now this can happen uh, abnormally as well. Some some children have fractures, for example, uh, that occur right through the growth plate, okay, which can stunt growth in children because it's basically going to lead to premature closure of the growth plate. So if you have some sort of disruption of this process, uh, then that bone is not going to grow. And you can end up with leg length or arm length discrepancy uh, depending on which limb it happens in. So sometimes there's an abnormal closure uh, of these growth plates as well. Okay, so uh, here we have another uh, bone spicule. Now, this is an example of endochondral bone formation. So remember we saw that spicule previously uh, for intramembranous bone formation. Now, this is an example of a bone spicule for endochondral bone formation. Now, how would you differentiate this spicule from that spicule and say that this is endochondral formation and not intramembranous? What is the key here? The, the calcified cartilage, right, okay? So the other one was purely blue. There was no car cartilage in it. So it was just a, a spicule of bone, okay? You have a big clue here that you see some sort of cartilage pieces. So if you have cartilage pieces, then you assume that this is endochondral bone formation occurring here. That's the process, okay? So just by looking at this image, even if it was not um, labeled or anything, you'd be able to identify that, you know, 
if you're familiar with the stain, that this is bone tissue in blue, and this lighter blue color is how cartilage is going to stain. So therefore, you know that there was a cartilaginous model first that's now getting replaced by bone. Okay? Uh, so for those of you guys that have your clickers, okay, from that previous image, we had a big red arrow. I hope everybody can see that arrow there. It's a little small. But what's this red arrow uh, pointing at here? 30 seconds, because it's easy. I expect like 100% here. If you, if you don't get this question right, I'll, I'll ask you to leave. All right, if you haven't clicked in, click in. Oh, my God. 55%. All right, for those of you who were paying attention or not asleep, what happened to the results? Here we go. Okay. So osteoclast, so this is where the arrow's pointing at. I'm assuming the people in the back are blind and can't see the red arrow, so they're just guessing. That's probably the reason why I didn't get this. No other reason. Um, osteoblasts. Wow. All right. Um, so we're pointing to this giant cell. I, maybe it doesn't look so giant, but it's definitely bigger than all the rest. Okay. You definitely can make out, a, there's a couple nuclei here as well. As well. So those will be the multinucleated giant cell. Okay, so this is going to be an osteoclast. Okay, and what would be this kind of, you know, let's say I was pointing with this arrow to that little white space here. Good. So that would be the Halship's lacuna. Okay, so that's where where the osteoclast would be um, kind of attached or housed on this bone spicule. Okay, very good. All right, so we move on to uh, bone repair. We, we kind of mentioned this briefly, uh, briefly uh, before when I said, you know, if you've had a bone fracture be before. But you can sort of envision what's going to happen if, you know, you fracture your bone. So um, in case I haven't stressed it enough or if I haven't mentioned it uh, before, bone is, is highly vascular, okay, compared to cartilage or other tissues. A bone doesn't seem like it has, you know, a big blood supply, and we don't really think about it very much, but it, it has a vast blood supply. Okay, because remember, through every single osteon, you're gonna have an artery traveling through it and a vein traveling through it. Okay, so even though if you know just look at a piece of bone in the lab and or you look at a section through bone tissue, you don't really appreciate the vast network of vasculature that's found within the the bone itself. Okay, now how does it get into the bone? We usually have uh, on the on on all the major long bones in the body, we have nutrient arteries. Okay. These nutrient arteries, you usually be able to see on the, on the shaft of the humerus or femur, a tiny kind of little hole in the shaft. And sometimes students in the lab are like, what, what's that hole for? Or is that natural? Or do we put it in there or whatever? Um, but that's usually where the ar uh, nutrient artery kind of comes in, uh, into the bone. And that's the major blood supply uh, for the bone itself. Okay? Once this nutrient artery comes in, it kind of divides into all these different branches and kind of spreads out across the uh, the cavity, the marrow cavity, okay? And this is where it picks up all those hemopoietic cells and brings in different things as well. So um, it has all that hemopoietic function as well. But aside from that, eventually it's going to make its way to the uh, lining of this medullary cavity, which is going to be lined by what? Endosteum, okay? So that's where we get the blood supply to the endosteum from, okay? All these nutrient arteries coming in and then dividing to all these smaller... Um, 
arteries. Okay? So we basically have an, a blood supply from inside out. Okay? We have a big artery coming in to the medullary cavity, then it divides and it kind of feeds the bone from inside. We also have the periosteum on the outside. That periosteum is also going to have arteries on the outside of a big network. That's where we saw those osteons kind of like uh, engulfing these arteries to produce an osteon. So we know the periosteum is highly vascularized. So uh, end result is we have lots of blood in and around and within bone itself. Okay? So if we're going to fracture a bone, we're going to definitely disrupt a lot of these different blood vessels. Okay? Blood vessels on the inside and the endosteum, blood vessels on the outside, blood vessels within bone. So end result is going to be hemorrhage. Okay? There's going to be a lot of bleeding that's going to occur at the fracture site. Okay? We're going to have blood clotting uh, and macrophages coming in and basically uh, eventually removing this, this hemorrhage and removing this big mess. Okay? So we're going to have this big giant blood clot. Next step, once we kind of uh, bring all these different cells to try to clean up this mess, we need to support this fracture site. Okay? So we can't just leave the two bone ends just kind of flopping around. And this is where you know, going to a, to a hospital and getting a cast put on uh, you know, speeds this whole process of healing up because we basically immobilize the two bone ends and try to get them to fuse together. Okay? But the, the body has you know, its own kind of... Uh, system to kind of deal with this. You know, 100 years ago, we didn't have casts, so we didn't have splints and all this other stuff. You just rested until the bone kind of uh, fused and healed itself. So how does that occur? We basically have a soft callus that forms first. Okay? This soft callus is going to be basically just this big mass of cells, specifically fibroblasts, uh, some osteoblasts, some uh, collagen. Uh, so these fibroblasts are going to start producing this kind of soft callus. Okay? And its function is to basically provide a little bit of stability to these fracture, uh, uh, the two ends of the fractured bone to kind of stabilize it. So we're going to have cartilage that's going to be formed, collagen, all this other good stuff, granulation tissue. Eventually we're going to have blood vessels growing into this area that are going to bring in uh, osteoblasts. Okay, the osteoblasts are going to be derived from the periosteum on the outside. So the periosteum is eventually going to uh, regain its continuity. And we're also going to have osteoblasts being derived from the endosteum, so from the inner side. So we're going to have all these cells basically migrating towards this fracture site. Once we have all these osteoblasts there, of course they're going to start producing osteoid material, bone. Okay? So we're going to start getting uh, a hard callus forming. So that cartilage is going to start getting broken down. So again, macrophages are going to come in, start breaking down this cartilage, and bone is going to get uh, put down in its place. So we go from the soft callus of cartilage and collagen to this hard callus of bone. Okay? Now this hard callus is, is then going to get remodeled, and so these osteoclasts and osteoblasts are going to be working in tandem to try to kind of clean up this area and remodel it and kind of get it back to, to the way it looked before. Now, if you've ever had a fractured bone and, and you've gotten x-rays done for um, maybe an unrelated condition, you know, let's say 10 or 12 years later, it's usually very tough to actually tell where the fracture uh, site has occurred. Okay? There might be like a tiny little hairline kind of remnant or maybe a tiny little bump 
uh, just at the fracture, where the fracture site was. But oftentimes it's even difficult for radiologists to, to be able to tell that, that there was a fracture there before. Especially if you fractured your, your bone like when you were little, when you were a kid. Uh, you, remarkable recovery, remarkable uh, healing of, of the bone tissue. So um, bone actually has a very good regeneration capabilities unlike cartilage because we know that is avascular and doesn't heal and it doesn't regenerate very well. Bones are quite the opposite. They heal very well and usually they can return pretty much to, to what they were before the fracture. So there's no weakness or, or anything like that afterwards. All right, we talked about that. Bony callus, we talked about that. Okay, histophysiology. So that's how bone uh, works. That's what bone is. That's what bone does. Um, there's a few other things that, that bone is important for. Uh, of course, uh, when we think of bone, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, is for movement, obviously, right? We need to have a, a bony skeleton to kind of get around to serve as attachment for muscles. Uh, muscles can't really do anything until, unless we have the bones. Otherwise, we just this blob of, of muscle. Um, the other function it does, it protects the vital organs. So of course, it's going to protect your central nervous system, your brain, your spinal cord, um, and all the vital organs uh, like your heart, lungs, with uh, thoracic cage, and so on. It's a dynamic tissue, under, constantly undergoing change. We talked about growing along stress lines. Another function is calcium reserve. So this is something that, that not everybody's aware of, not everybody realizes how important this is. Uh, but your bony skeleton contains 99% of your body's uh, calcium. Okay? Uh, and we know calcium is vital for your, for your survival. Pretty much is involved in most physiological processes uh, in your body. So we need calcium for muscle contraction, uh, uh, enzymatic activity, uh, transmission of nerve impulses, cell adhesion, blood coagulation. All these different physiological processes are going to require uh, calcium. So if we have inadequate calcium in our body, all these different processes are going to start failing and, and the body is going to start um, uh, having adverse effects. So we need to be able to control blood calcium levels within a very rigid kind of range. So we can never get, um, you know, or let calcium, blood calcium levels get too low. So if we don't have inadequate intake of calcium in our diet, we're going to pull the calcium from our bones, okay, and not even think twice about it. So uh, especially people who are malnourished or live in, you know, third world um, countries where, where maybe their diet is inadequate, they usually have uh, predisposition for bone fractures because they're going to be pulling that calcium in from their bones, okay? Um, it's life over limb, right? So your body's going to try to kind of preserve itself and sacrifice, you know, a broken arm or a broken finger. So if it doesn't have calcium coming in from diet, it's going to just pull it right out of the bones. Yeah, that's what I just said. Good. Nutrition. Okay, so nutrition definitely plays a very important um, role in bone development and bone growth. Um, diets that are low in protein uh, will result in deficiencies in amino acids that are essential for synthesis of collagen. And we know collagen is a building block uh, of bone. So if we have inadequate uh, protein in our diet, that can also lead to uh, poor uh, bone formation. Okay? Lack of calcium is a, is a fairly obvious one. So um, you can either have inadequate calcium in a diet or you can have inadequate uh, calcium absorption. Okay? We know that we need vitamin D to absorb calcium in our small intestines, so we can also have a, a, 
vitamin D deficiency that can lead to um, uh, bone problems. Okay? So maybe, maybe you have, we have normal calcium intake in the diet, but if you only have the vitamin D, um, then you can't really absorb it, and you end up with the same symptoms as if you had uh, calcium deficiency. This is a reason why you know, a lot of uh, dairy products are, are fortified with vitamin D. So all the different yogurts and milk and whatever else you, uh, you eat, a lot of that stuff has been fortified with vitamin D for that reason. Okay? Now, there's a couple conditions that will result uh, if you have um, inadequate uh, calcium and calcification of bone. Uh, both of them are really the same condition. It's just one occurs in children and the other one occurs in adults. So if you have poor calcification of bone uh, in children, this is called rickets, okay? And it usually loads, uh, leads to this uh, bowing out of the legs. So because you have poor calcification, so you're not able to mineralize the bones as efficiently, uh, the bones are soft, okay? So these children start walking on their limbs and becomes because the bones are not strong enough to support the body weight, they start bowing. Okay? Um, this can, to some degree, this can be uh, reversed if, if diet is uh, corrected, uh, but some of that bowing can, can remain. So this is uh, not the same child, but this is a child later on. Uh, you can see some of that bowing has remained. Same thing can happen in adults. You usually don't see the bowing of the legs because obviously... Uh, if you have norm, normal diet through your childhood, then, then your bone development was fine in your childhood, so you, you grew normally. But if you have inadequate um, calcium later in, in adult, then your bones are going to become, again, softer and more brittle, so you'd be more prone uh, to fractures, for example. Okay, vitamin D is another uh, essential vitamin. Uh, it's necessary for proper, uh, for proper ossification. Uh, it's very interesting, actually, to see that too much of something good is not good for you, right? And that's kind of the, the main motto, of, uh, really, in life. But too much vitamin D can actually lead to um, excess uh, bone resorption, okay? So inadequate vitamin D will cause poor bone formation, but too much of it can actually lead to the opposite effect, and it can lead to bone resorption. Now, this is not going to happen if you, you know, if you go home and eat three yogurts in a day. You're not going to get vitamin, too much vitamin D, right? This is something that you have to supplement and you'd have to take, you know, load up on uh, vitamin D for a while before you get too much of it. Um, vitamin D is the same thing. Uh, deficiency can lead to uh, uh, poor bone formation and too much of it can actually accelerate the closure of the epithelial plate. So, again, it can... Uh, stunt your growth, leading to a uh, smaller stature. Vitamin C, necessary for collagen formation, uh, which is important uh, for wound healing and bone repair and bone growth. Uh, the efficiency of vitamin C can lead to conditions such as scurvy, which is not something uh, we see every day, but it's something that the pirates uh, suffered from You know, in the 15th, 16th century when they did the long voyages overseas because they didn't have um, adequate vitamin C in their diet. And unless you're like this bloke here, uh, you know, who just eats ramen noodles all year and doesn't get any vitamins and don't eat any fruit and veggies and stuff, you, you might develop scurvy, I guess. Um, so it's probably not something that you're going to see very frequently in your, in your practice, but uh, it's something that you have to be aware of. 
Okay, hormones also play an important uh, role in bone formation. So uh, we have a couple of hormones that are going to be involved here. We have parathyroid hormone, which is produced by the parathyroid gland. Um, and this hormone uh, stimulates the osteoclast uh, to basically uh, start resorbing and breaking down bone. And the end result of that is that it's going to elevate uh, blood calcium levels. So when is parathyroid hormone going to get released? When we have low blood calcium levels. Okay, so try to bring the blood calcium levels back up. Okay, in excess, so if you have too much parathyroid hormone, you can have, uh, you know, excess bone uh, resorption. You can have too much blood calcium. Uh, too much calcium in the blood is not good for your body either. Uh, eventually that calcium is going to start getting deposited elsewhere in the body. Uh, arterial walls, you end up with, with uh, plaque in the walls, uh, in the kidneys, and the heart valves. So a few of the places where, where it can be actually very detrimental to your, to your health. The opposite is going to be calcitonin. So calcitonin is going to inhibit uh, bone resorption, thus preventing the release of calcium in the blood. So obviously you're going to release calcitonin um, when you have high uh, blood calcium levels. Okay. The sex hormones also play uh, an effect on bone development, so they're going to influence the epithelial uh, growth plate ossification uh, closure. Okay? So too much uh, the sex hormones can lead to a small stature, so early closure of the growth plate, and a deficiency in, in these hormones can lead to uh, tall stature. Okay, pituitary growth hormone. Um, so this one's going to uh, stimulate the epithelial cartilage growth. Um, so you, what you can have is you can have excess uh, a growth hormone being produced uh, in your body. For example, if you have a pituitary tumor. So if you have pituitary tumor and you have too much growth hormone being released, it's going to cause that epithelial growth plate to just keep dividing, keep growing. And so it's going to lead to um, a giantism. Okay. So uh, basically people will have very large uh, bones, and not only bones, because growth hormone affects pretty much all the tissues of the body, not just bones, so you end up with uh, giants. So th this is uh, an example of, of somebody who's suffered from pituitary hyperplasia. Uh, this is Robert uh, Wal Waldo, Walden. Um, he was, I believe he's still the tallest human in history. Um, he was 8 feet 11. So it's almost nine feet. This is his father. His father was six feet. Um, he, has, he had a 37-size shoe. Okay? Um, and he died at the age of 22. So he had, a, he had a basically a tumor in the pituitary gland that just kept releasing uh, pituitary growth hormone. And so this, um, this gentleman just kept growing and kept growing and kept growing. And, and he died eventually at age 22. Anybody know of what? Yeah, an infection from a blister, okay? He had to wear braces on his legs because, you know, walking was getting very uncomfortable for him, and one of these braces uh, just caused basically rubbing on his leg, and he developed kind of like a blister. That blister got infected, and he had uh, blood poisoning, and eventually he died. So he died at age 22, and, and um, he was as tall as he was at that age, and he would have basically kept growing for the rest of his life because of that tumor. Um, so he, he would have just just kept growing if he, if he didn't die, but he still holds the, the record even, even though he's only 22 and he died. Um, the opposite of that is dwarfism. So dwarfism can occur if you have 
um, inadequate growth hormone production from your uh, pituitary gland. Okay? So again, it could be due to a, maybe a, a tumor or trauma or for whatever reason your pituitary gl uh, gland, for example, is not producing the growth hormone. So it's going to cause uh, early um, closure of this epiphyseal plate where it's not going to uh, divide as quickly, not produce as many cartilage cells. So it's going to lead to small stature. So anybody who watches Game of Thrones, this is... Um, uh, I can't remember who this, what the name of the actor is. Sure. Uh, so he, he was, he's, a, he's a dwarf. Okay? Another condition is acromegaly. So acromegaly is a similar uh, kind of pathology behind the disorder, except that it occurs in adulthood. So dwarfism and giantism usually basically have it when you're born. Okay? Um, if, you, if you develop some sort of pituitary trauma or tumor later on in life, you develop normally, right? So if you, if you had normal growth, your normal childhood, your normal stature, and then all of a sudden you have this pituitary tumor and you have excess growth hormone, it's going to lead to acromegaly. So you basically start getting larger kind of all around the body, not necessarily much taller, but you, your cheeks will start growing. Your facial features will change. You get bigger chin, bigger cheeks, bigger nose, bigger lips. Basically everything will start getting bigger because of this excess growth hormone. Uh, but again, this is in adulthood, and this is basically if you have it uh, from, from childhood, if you're born with it. Okay? So one will lead to giantism, the other is acromegaly. Osteoporosis, another uh, you know, common condition that a lot of people in, uh, in the world suffer from. Uh, osteoporosis literally means porous bones. Okay? And eventually it's going to lead to, to uh, frequent fractures or predisposition to fractures. And we have two types of uh, osteoporosis. We have type 1. Uh, sorry, primary and secondary. Okay? Primary uh, osteoporosis we divide into two types, type 1 and type 2. Type 1 is predominantly postmenopausal women. That uh, Once you go through menopause, your estrogen levels basically decrease. Your estrogen basically serves as a, as a protective mechanism that keeps the osteoclast kind of at bay. It keeps them kind of from going crazy. Okay? Once you go through menopause and you estrogen levels drop off, these osteoclasts just kind of go crazy. They're like, all right, the king's dead. We're just going to start breaking down bone. And they just start chomping up bone everywhere. Okay? So this, that would be the uh, type 1 primary osteoporosis. Uh, type 2 is basically what happens with everybody with age. Eventually, all of us lose uh, mineral content in our bones. Our bones become a little bit more brittle with age. This is why you know, elderly people are, are more predisposed to, to fractures. Right? You have you know, your grandma or your grandpa, you know, falling in the bathroom, whatever, and breaking their femur or breaking their, their hip, right? I mean, how many of you guys have broken your, your, your pelvis or broken your, your femur? You don't have to answer. Um, but it doesn't happen very often. It actually takes a lot of force to fracture a femur or a lot of force to fracture your pelvis. So for most people your age, it will happen probably in a skiing accident if you go full speed at a tree or something, or a car accident. It's got to be great trauma that occurs for you to fracture one of these big bones. Whereas elderly, you know, they're, they're in the bathroom, they'll slip in the bathtub or something, and, you know, there goes the femur, there goes the pelvis. So um, just the mineral content is decreased and, and, and the bones are more fragile. Secondary osteoporosis is something that's in, uh, basically it, uh, it's induced. It's either due to uh, drugs that you're taking or uh, due to other conditions that you might be suffering from, like malnutrition 
weightlessness or cancer. So weightlessness, for example, uh, astronauts, people who go into, out into space and stay there for you know, months at a time, sometimes develop osteoporosis. Uh, drug therapy as well, so uh, taking corticosteroids for an extended period of time can also lead to symptoms of osteoporosis. So this is uh, just a picture of somebody who has osteoporosis compared to a normal. You see how much thinner the trabeculae are, uh, how much basically the bone density is decreased in these individuals compared to normal. Okay? The last few slides is just recap uh, tables. I'm not going to go through this. It's just basically a nice summary of the, of the lectures. If you're able to just go through all these points and kind of you know, talk about two or three things that you know about it and you're comfortable with this material, you should be good um, for my two lectures. So thank you guys for your attention and have a good day.